0: They really can become self-fulfilling prophecies. They set us up, they make us more vulnerable to exactly what we fear. And that's why it's so important to learn about aging and to realize how much ageist thoughts we have all internalized because those thoughts harm our health and harm our self-esteem and harm our progress through life.
1: Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living Podcast It's season four, and here we are still reimagining, rethinking, and redefining what it means to be in midlife and what's possible as we age. We are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. I created this podcast to give you inspiration and let you know you're not alone in feeling stuck in midlife. Both men and women are welcome here, but if you are a woman, I also invite you to join the Age Agitators Club for Women, where we come together monthly to hatch our plans for making waves as we age. Being part of this community for women will remind you on a regular basis that you're not too old, and it's never too late to do that thing you've been thinking about. You can find more information at latebloomerliving.com forward slash community. And I hope to see you there. Hello, my friend. I am so excited to have Ashton Applewhite joining me on the podcast today. She is one of my heroes. I'm just going to fangirl on her here for a moment. She is an internationally recognized expert on ageism. She's the author of This Chair Rocks, a manifesto against ageism and co-founder of the old school anti-ageism clearinghouse she speaks widely at venues that have included the united nations the ted main stage and is at the forefront of the emerging movement to raise awareness of ageism and make age a criterion for diversity in 2022 the united nations named ashton one of the healthy aging 50 50 leaders transforming the world to be a better place to grow older Oh, I love that idea. Oh, my goodness, because getting old is hard the way we currently have things set up, isn't it? You know what
0: What we lose sight of? Being young is hard, too.
1: That's true. I can definitely testify to that. And, you know, it's so funny, Ashton, I've been looking at this aging thing myself.
0: (laughs) This aging thing.
1: I feel you. For... Well, really like looking at it critically and with a little more self-awareness, because I have to say all through my 40s, I was looking at the aging thing through a different lens. I was looking at it through the lens of horror, fear. Um, who is that looking back at me in the mirror? I don't recognize her. Um the
0: culture tells us we should feel.
1: So much so. And I have to say that even though I've been looking at this with um, more curiosity in the past four to five years, I still find myself thinking ageist thoughts. It is just so steeped into me that I still have it. And it's like, wow, does that ever go away? I mean, you've been doing this work a long time. <laughs> you, you know, Do you I, feel like you've all, got a
0: handle on this? You know, first of all, thanks for being so honest. And no, it never goes away because we live in a harsh world Yeah. for two reasons. I mean, there are probably a hundred reasons, and those reasons are different for each of us. We each fear different things. If we live in a community, we might be less worried about being alone. If we have access to good health care, we might be less worried about getting sick. If we have financial resources, we might be less worried about running out of money. But all those fears are legitimate oh. and real all of them. Yeah, they are. So I never want to be, you know, I'm not one of these positive aging Pollyannas that if you just start saving for your, you know, XYZ account yesterday, or, you know, do enough sit-ups or whatever, it's all going to be fine. Might be fine, might not be fine, right? We can't, there are always aspects that are out of our control. And we live in a culture that feeds our fears. So sometimes i think of what i you know of being in the both sides of the story business. It doesn't do any good to brush the scary stuff under the rug because we know from childhood, you know, the the, the things if we don't think about growing older, we don't think about dying and those are very different fears. I'll get mm, into very one thing different to say, you know, oh, of course we don't want to think about aging because it's all about dying. No it's not.
1: No. Aging, no, not for life. me. I'd I'm from the way more afraid going. of aging than I am of dying. A hundred, and it, like, and I've and always it known that could be
0: different for someone else. But we
1: know that when we pretend
0: those things aren't happening, it just makes them scarier. You know, they just bubble up. So, uh, you know, so we need to think about those things. But sort of, my work is about urging people to look, do the work that you have bravely embarked on, to look at your own attitudes, because we can't challenge bias unless we're aware of it. We don't hear about age and ageism as much as we hear about sexism and racism. And everyone is ageist. I think racist, I mean, sorry, age, I think racist things too, we're all racist as well. But, you know, ageist thoughts pop into my brain all the time. And so it's just an ongoing process, but you, but I, I'm curious about what shifted, what has shifted since you started
1: down this road. <laughs> oh my goodness. So much has shifted. I, I, when I look in the mirror these days, Ashton, and I see, you know, I've, I've started growing out the gray hair. Um, the face is getting older than it was when it was in my forties. But since I've started doing this work and since I've really just started doing a lot of work on myself regarding you know, meditating and, and, and doing mindfulness practices and taking care of my body in a way that I wasn't in my forties because I had young kids and I was trying just barely keeping up. Okay. Um, I feel at 55 years old, which is how old I am now, I feel so much more energetic. I feel like I'm just getting started. I am excited about my next 20, 30, who knows how long many years I have left. Whatever they might be, um, I still fear the parts of aging that that are really scary to me. My dad has dementia, so That's, that for I mean, me is scary, it,
0: any scarier than that,
1: you know. Yeah. And, and, and,
0: and <clears throat> you know, dementia is a perfect example, it's a horrible disease. We are. I don't think I think it's actually foolish to think in terms of a cure, I think we are getting better, perhaps there'll be a cure, but we're getting um, hopefully more supportive of people with dementia, and people helping people with dementia, but it is a case of, of two things what people nobody knows that dementia rates are falling. Now, that is an utterly useless statistic to you because your dad has dementia. Mm-hmm. However, the odds of getting dementia have gotten lower and lower, and people are being diagnosed at later ages.
1: Yeah, so fascinating. And that's not right? what, if you ask somebody on the street, that because is not what they're going to say, right? Because
0: because the culture feeds our fears. They divide us, it's profitable to drug industries and to foundations to have us be afraid, to have us be divided. So that's, we're back again already to let's hear both sides of the story. The statistic from the Alzheimer's Association is that one out of 10 Americans will get dementia. That's a lot of people and it's an awful disease. I am not for a minute saying, hey, don't worry. You know, it's nothing to worry about but the the curve the age curve is that most people are you know you most people get it in pretty late in life in their 80s in their 90s and that does mean that nine out of 10 people think just fine to the end and where ageism comes in is you know as i mentioned there's an awful lot we can't control about getting older we can control our attitudes and attitudes towards aging affect how our minds and bodies function at the cellular level. There's tons of data. We won't have time to get to it all go to my blog, this enter dementia, enter health, enter cognition, enter levy levy, the scholar Yale who has done and you will see all the latest data around this. And the point is that people who have a more accurate view of aging, a fact based attitude rather than a fear-based attitude the, st- the statistic and the fact around dementia is amazing they are less likely to get alzheimer's even if they have the gene that predisposes them to the disease right. and the scientists thinking is that that um, more positive attitude acts as a buffer against stress against prejudice so knowing that dementia rates are falling when you can't find your glasses you know, or your damn slippers or whatever the hell it is. We think, oh, crap, or worse than crap. Like, (gasps) I mean, and that's a gasp of genuine fear. You know, back in
1: my 40s, if I lost my keys, if I lost my phone, I would I would joke around and say, oh, I'm having a senior moment. And and I now know that those jokes were not serving me in the least and not not true.
0: And they really can become self-fulfilling prophecies they set us up they make us more vulnerable to exactly what we fear and that's why it's so important to learn about aging and to realize how much uh, ageist thoughts we have all internalized because those thoughts harm our health and harm our self-esteem and harm our progress through life
1: yeah, and that's Becca Levy that has the book talking about uh, that connection between <laughs> how we're looking at aging and what it does to our health, right? Yes.
0: Read my book and read Breaking the Age Code.
1: Breaking the Age Code. That's what well, I was trying in, to Instead
0: of, of, of remembering her. that, I'll do a plug for the Old School Clearinghouse, which is a site I make zero dollars off, but it is a it's a, a website where all the best resources about ageism. And what we can do about it are in one place, oldschool.info. So if you can't remember Levy's name or brain health or whatever, noodle around, go to books, search for Levy, you'll find it, and it's all those things in one place.
1: I love that you've put that together, and I'll have a link in the show notes for everybody to to your to that old school clearinghouse. And your blog, Yo, is this ageist as well? I'm gonna, I'll have a lot of links for people so that you can go find Ashton after this episode. So you you started to touch on it, but there is a question that I want to ask you just just to be just to be just to kind of poke the bear a little bit. What Uh does it matter? What does it matter that we are aware of ageism? Why, Why why bother? You're you're doing a lot of activism around this. What is driving you? Well, how about just the
0: fact that it'll make you less likely to get Alzheimer's? I mean, isn't that one, one like blue chip reason?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, another,
0: I mean, we each, the, the you know, we aging is uh, like, like every human process, utterly unique. We age in different ways. We age at different rates, socially, physically, cognitively. The longer we live, the more different from one another we become. So something that is a problem for me might not be a problem for you. For example, I have arthritis and geez, uh, now over two years ago, I had a total shoulder replacement. Mm. Yay, works great. Um, If I were a tennis, a left-handed tennis player, that would be really, really a problem for me. I don't play tennis. It didn't mess up my tennis game, but something else, I mean, I was thinking, Um, I was talking to someone uh, who's uh, named Peter Fremlin, who has a wonderful newsletter around disability called Disability Debrief. And I am almost completely deaf in this ear because of a a brain tumor called acoustic neuroma. And I said, Peter, I don't identify as disabled. Is that denial? And he said, well, if you lost your little finger, you wouldn't be disabled but if you were a concert pianist you would be
1: mm. it,
0: depends. it always depends it's never binary you would think I would know that by now but there I am like ah am I being a hypocrite do I need to rethink this you know talking to you right now I'm not disabled in a crowded restaurant I'm disabled
1: mm. so
0: it all depends on who we are but for me doing work around my age bias makes me, as you said, more more confident, more knowledgeable, more aware of where my fears lie and more able to put them in perspective, which is a huge help to me.
1: I'm thinking of well two things uh I was thinking of the the connection between ageism and ableism and I've had Tracy Gendron on the on the podcast okay. before and I I love how she highlights that connectivity between those two things because I have to say that a good bit of my fear around aging has to do with some ableism because I am so afraid of being, dependent on somebody else to help me in some way or I don't want to lose my independence and I think you know so I do everything I can to stay healthy you know I'm trying I'm doing anything I can think of to eat right exercise keep my mind in shape all the things right and here's the thing is as I do more and more and more of this work I'm realizing the truth is is I'm really resilient I think we all are we made it this far and we don't give ourselves enough credit for our resilience. And if I lose my hearing, which I think I might be going in that direction, or if I, you know, go blind, um, if, if, if something happens that is completely just out of my control, I'm starting to think, you know what, I think I might be okay. Because
0: I mean, just that, thought process is helpful because it turns this big dark terrifying you know faceless entity into a set of issues that you can think about as you just so eloquently described and I'd like to point out another binary dependent independent do you fix your own car (laughs) do you pick your kids up at school every day I don't know how old your kids are right do you um you know do you check your own vision do you uh, you know a thousand things do you you know bring clean water to your house i mean we are all interdependent first of all you rely on an enormous network i'm sure of friends and family and colleagues to support you and educate you and all those things no one is independent ever and we are conditioned to think ah uh, am i old am i on the wrong side of some velvet rope mm-hmm. and it's all to go to hell right mm, am yep. i going to be one day you know, dependent. There was a fantastic quote, it's in my book, by a Dutch gerontologist named Jan Bars. Autonomy requires collaborators. (laughs) If you, you know, one of these days, you know, maybe driving won't be safe. Maybe you'll, you know, maybe you'll end up having a hard time with, (laughs) I mean, I already have a hard time with financial forms. I try and get anyone to do any number involving paperwork for me. If we want to have the old age we think we want, and guess what? We're not gonna know what we want till we get closer to it, but you still have to think about it. Think about it, revisit it. Oh, that seemed like a great idea then. Now, not such a great idea. Oh, I didn't realize that was gonna be important to me, but it looks like it is, right? We don't know what we're gonna want, but we're gonna rely on a network of people, no matter what, to have the old age that we want. It's not about independence or dependence.
1: Yeah, it's that binary thing that we just tend to want to, it's the classification, right? So this is so funny. I was thinking before I got on with you, I was like, I was frankly a little nervous because um, the language that I need to use to communicate what I'm trying to communicate, like a lot of things I'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about midlife. Well, what is midlife? Midlife can start in your 30s. Where does it end? You don't know what the middle is really. You know, th- what is the terminology that we can use that is not binary, that is, you know, but still can reach people in the language that they're used to using? Because if I'm going to put out a blog, I, I there's a certain amount of like, okay, well, I need to use the language that somebody else is going to use when they're thinking of the problem, you know? So well, how do you, you use the language without perpetuating the ageism?
0: language is never neutral. Language is a moving target. We're all going to make mistakes. I mean, sort of the, the the bottom line is when you're worried about what to call someone, just ask, you know, and listen to the answer. Some people say I'm disabled, and they foreground that. But more in general, people want to be someone with autism, not called autistic, but Mm. people are different. So, you know, there's that. I mean, I, I I do feel like I have solved the what to call old people problem. Um, because when I was writing my book, um, I literally got tired of typing old older people and I shortened it to olders and youngers. And I know that they are inventions and I know that that always gives people a little hiccup, but no one doesn't understand what they mean. Hmm. And we age in relation to others. If you are in a room full of older people, you are younger, right? you are certainly in midlife unless you know uh i shouldn't say this but you know you could get hit by a car walking out your door in which case haha it wasn't midlife after all we don't know right we don't know we don't know how long we're going to live but if we refer to each other as olders and youngers if you just say younger people you if you're talking about people you escape that trap or older people because it it depends in relation to you. And again, you are aging at different rates from loads of other people your age. No one else is doing fifty five the way you are doing fifty five. No one else is seventy one the way I am seventy one. So <clears throat> the minute we group people humanity into age groups, you know, uh, especially by year. But even generation another I'm uh, on a bit of a tear about this, but try and you haven't. And it's really tempting and really common. Try not to use the word generation because (laughs) no, so tempting. (laughs) But you know who loves generations? Marketers, right? Demographers and people selling the idea to managers and employers that there's one way to manage, you know, 24 to 28 year olds. And then there's a whole nother way to manage 29 to 35. Guess what? There are very few actual differences. People want a
1: decent salary. People want health care people want flex time. I will people... say that on the generation thing, it is something that I have used in show notes descriptions, um we social media, and the reason I choose to use them is because if somebody's looking for something, it or or I want to trigger, let's say, an algorithm on social media or something like that. If I want to reach the right people for my message, I'll go ahead and use those terms, but then I'm like, ooh, am I perpetuating the problem, or what am I doing here?
0: Listen, it's fantastic that you're thinking about these things, because that's the first step. The problem with generation is that it fosters, there is no scientific basis for the term, except in the idea that your kids are a different generation from you. There, There is a biological generation. But other than that, no one agrees. I mean, you know, a generation can be four years or ten years. The idea that everyone born roughly around the same age everywhere in the world is the same is clearly absurd. And the minute we have a generational label, all of us, no judgment, all sorts of associations click into mind: boomer, mm-hmm. Gen X, millennial, and none of those. You know, the the devil is in making assumptions, and the minute we have a label a whole set of assumptions click into place, and those assumptions divide us. They foster stereotyping, and they also um, cover up. They give age more value, much more value than it deserves. Where we were born, our culture, our socioeconomic status, our gender, all those things, our race, have much, much more to do with our life experience than age does. So when we act as though age is a thing that makes people a certain way, it not only gives age more value than it deserves in a in a pro- really damaging way, it covers up the role of, <clears throat> of class in particular in yeah. shaping who we are.
1: Yeah, I was thinking too um, as 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 you're speaking about this whole idea of ableism and independence versus dependence. You know that binary idea. Um, have you read *The Beauty of Dusk* by Frank Bruni? Is that- I have not. Oh, I I have to highly recommend it because he um, I believe is a New York Times yeah he is writer He's a columnist but
0: not bed writer
1: and is losing his sight, and that yeah. led him down this this idea of well what does that mean that I'm losing my sight what is th- what does this mean for my life and he wrote a, a book. It's called The Beauty of Dusk on Vision Lost and Found. And he starts to talk to a lot of different people with different, if you want to call them handicaps. Again, let's go into that. People who, are, who, who have had different things happen and how they have coped with them and how that's actually enriched their lives where you've got that thing that happens to you that looks like a terrible thing. But then once you, where's the gift in the terrible thing?
0: And it, it looks like a terrible thing, which is not to say that life life without vision is more complicated. And and in a world that's oriented to the needs of people with sight that doesn't pay enough attention to vision deficits, indeed, it is harder. So it's it's complicated. It's always complicated, not to speak in, you know, absolute terms of, you know, what a gift, or ever to presume. We know what another person is experiencing, but adapting to these processes, which are inevitable to some degree and uh, in all of us, is you know it, it taps into our deepest fears, but it taps into our most the most beautiful aspects of being human as well. I mean, yeah. the disability community has united in these really gorgeous, powerful ways around identifying as disabled and saying i'm not xyz you know a famous person in the world despite being blind it is in a very real sense because of being blind right it is that is part of my um my myself and my soul and how i navigate in the world and it is not something i'm ashamed of um you know and want to hide
1: yeah it's gives me hope to think that that whatever is going to come down the pike for me as I age, that there will be gifts in the, you know, gifts to be found in those limitations that come with the with the things that that might happen to me physically or mentally, that there might be hidden gifts in there, that if I'm willing to open those gifts, (laughs) you know, that that could be
0: even just be open-minded and see them as having positive aspects as well as negative aspects
1: hey we're going to take a quick break here because i want to let you know that this podcast episode is brought to you by midlife cues are you looking to live life more intentionally and grow personally as you get older the Midlife Cues newsletter is the perfect solution for you. Every Sunday, you can open up your email to find a weekly newsletter filled with carefully researched resources and tools to help you live your best life. It's written and published by Lou Blazer, who left a successful career in corporate America and now focuses on helping midlifers be truly happy and feel fulfilled in the second half of their lives. You can subscribe today at Midlife com you're doing so much activism that that is what you do now right that that is your full-time gig
0: my full-time gig your
1: full-time gig. What is it that you hope to achieve through the activism that you're doing?
0: Oh, I'm uh, already achieving it. It's really it's fantastic. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to my um, main website and and bring up my latest newsletter. Um, because it is so full of, of unbelievably great, you know, c- concrete evidence of culture change is rare, especially around raising awareness of something, you know, so many people, well, I, um, you know, haven't thought about until recently ageism, as and opposed to. And don't
1: want to talk about, do you, do? You, sorry, I'm- <laughs> do no. do you no, think no, that in people don't want to talk about aging because the, then, then it right, identifies because- them? Age cooties,
0: right. But um, <laughs> I mean, let's just take a small example. All the discourse around um, the political politicians being too old mm-hmm. air quotes around that for mm-hmm. office. Mm-hmm. Almost every article says uh, a writer says, I know this is ageist, but mm-hmm. that is
1: huge progress okay okay i'll take that as progress okay right yeah
0: and october is a busy day a busy month in ageland because october 1st is the united nations international day of older people and um but since then i mean just this october the first national anti-ageism campaign kicked off in australia in 2019 um in 2021 the world health organization which is not the World Old People Organization, launched a global campaign to combat ageism. Think about that. Because they realized that the biggest obstacle to increasing health span, right, the number of years we're healthy, along with longevity, which is increasing everywhere in the world, was age bias. Mm. So they launched this fantastic campaign this October, they launched, they have more funding, they now have a dedicated website, they're doing all these um, resources, all of which you can find on oldschool.info. And then there's been all this activism around older women, I don't know if you've noticed, in Hollywood and in general. Oh my gosh,
1: I I I feel like I'm part of a movement. And and I don't know how much of that is just my perception because I'm steeped in this and I'm talking about it with people like you all the time, but I feel like there's more and more and more of us. There is more and more. I mean, you're not, I,
0: I, believe me, if you think you're, I, if you think you wonder if you're just seeing what you want to see, I'm, I really ask myself that all the time. There are, there were, there's say your age campaigns. There is, um, there is, uh, I mean, there's so much then just bachelor. On, October, uh, on October 1st, the help age international launched a global three year campaign called older, not over. Mm, yes. About aging and ageism around the world, which is fantastic. They have this beautiful footage of people in Africa saying that they're older, not over and why, uh, and, um, ageism awareness day. That's a thing. Now it's still a small thing, but it started in Australia 3 years ago and then it got a bit bigger and this year is the American three society years? Oh. on aging got behind it. Yeah, so uh you know so and um last but not least um Britain the UK is launching a and I'm 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 helping them with it. Um I mean I'm on the advisory board a national UK campaign which is I have to say really good. It was really good before I came anywhere near it. Um around raising awareness of ageism across the country with like billboards and bus ads and a really smart six-week layered campaign. I am not making this up.
1: That you is know, the, some uh, good solid evidence for it's good progress. Solid evidence. Yes.
0: Yeah, so I know, you know, when we when we started old school with just the we thought it would be like this little spreadsheet that only nerdy people would pay attention to. Like if you want to find stuff about ageism, the movement is new, let's put it in one place where people can find it we didn't have a campaign section, you know, and now it's got 35 campaigns and growing. And that's, and some of those, because we want the site to be up to date, some of the campaigns have expired. So it's been more than that over the years, you know, that's evidence.
1: Wow. And that makes me think of um, a change that's happened. And a lot of those things that you just mentioned are just in the last, what, four, five years. Um, And I'm thinking about your book I love that on your website, I was looking at your bio and and one of the things that you highlighted was that you self-published the manifesto in 2016 because no mainstream publisher recognized the importance of the issue, but then haha, subsequently sold the rights to yeah. a publisher. And that to me is very hopeful. You know, that is, I mean, publishers you know, are starting to recognize. This.
0: I just the um the I was just in Japan to uh promote the Japanese edition that's exciting which was exciting now I have to say the rights and and I and the Turkish edition came out this summer um it's been published in in China um in Taiwan mainland and Taiwan you know a whole bunch of languages no German edition yet no Spanish edition no French edition
1: Hmm. there's
0: still this real you know reluctance age cooties you know it is a topic that scares people, and that they think it's going to be sad and icky. So, you know, the resistance is real too, but we are making absolutely colossal progress. And, and you know, and these things have tipping points, you know, once it's not linear, you know, once the, once words and ideas get out into the culture, then they start to proliferate more rapidly.
1: Yes, absolutely. It builds on itself like a, like a snowball going downhill, doesn't it? And, you know, as you're, as you're talking about this and thinking about the age cooties and the <laughs> scientific term. I love that term, and it, it's also something that I pulled actually as I was reading your book. The idea of uh, the age tsunami versus the gray, not age tsunami, but the gray tsunami versus the gray reservoir idea. Can you speak to that a little bit?
0: Uh sure. I mean that that gets back to the power of language um there was a demographer named philip philip longman who coined this term which caught on like crazy and it was a clever you know phrase as a way to represent population aging there are more older people in the world than ever before and that is going to continue but think about the metaphor of a tsunami is like this terrifying uh, event that you have no warning of that crashes on a defenseless shore and sucks all the good stuff out to sea. So the idea is that all these, this massive, helpless, greedy, incapacitated old people mm-hmm. would, would impoverish the people left behind. Population aging is not a tsunami. It is a demographic wave lapping up very gently on a shore. It is the best studied Demographic phenomenon in history, and by chance, the latest post on my blog is is um, is a challenge to the idea that all, all these things that old people that people have been worried about that that population will will um, cost us um, the staggering increases in pension costs. They're tiny pension spending. Most you know the baby boom of which I, I am dead center, born in 1952, supposed to impoverish pension systems. Worldwide. That hasn't happened.
1: Right. None pensions even exist anymore.
0: A few. Yeah. I mean, some. That's a good point. Um, Health care systems are going to be bankrupted by all these sick old people. That hasn't happened. This alarmist rhetoric. It's like the red peril, you know, around communism or the yellow menace around Chinese workers in the U.S. from China. You know, it's a way to demonize and other.
1: It's a vilification of people based on something that everybody's gonna do. Every single person is, if they're lucky, is gonna age. So sooner or later, you're gonna end up in that demographic, right? Yeah,
0: Yeah, if you're lucky. And I think the phrase, the silver ocean, was coined by um, Jeanette Liardi, who who, a social gerontologist, whom you can find on Old School. And, And people have come up with other riffs on that. It's another metaphor. Population aging, are there challenges? associated with meeting the needs of an older population? Absolutely, but most of them have to do with ability and capacity, which are not inherently, they're age-related, but lots of older people continue to function just fine in the world to the end, and lots of younger people need social supports and have disability and have chronic illness. It's not about age. Again, it's about class, and it's about the social systems that support all of us to live better at any point in our lives. You need you need help at different times. You need help if you have kids when they are little. You need help if you lose your job. You need help if you're trying to juggle six jobs in a heartless gig economy, or if your landlord is greedy, et cetera, et cetera. It's not about age and these narratives, um, you know, that that when in in anxious times we look for scapegoats. And God knows these are anxious times. Oh, yeah. Old people make a useful scapegoat because partly because no one wants to identify as an old person. but there is no um, there's no there's no data, there's no evidence that these fears are biased. There's no such thing as intergenerational warfare. There's no evidence that old people don't care about young people or that young people want to throw granny to the wolves. That's an invention like the whole generation that the idea of generations underlies that, right? Mm-hmm. those old old generations, are benefiting at the expense of the young. It's not true, you know, there's no data for it. We are in the middle of the biggest um, intergenerational wealth transfer in history as people my age and older die off, which we are going to do and pass on our stuff, which is the way it should be. We're not gonna like take it somehow, take it with us to the grave, nor do we want to.
1: So, I'm thinking back to the beginning of your book when you when you, you know what inspired you. I I think to write this chair rocks and and declare your manifesto was your own realization of your own internalized ageism. And I'm thinking of Ray, <laughs> um, who was uh, an older guy that you worked with. I believe that that you were like, oh, I don't want to be like him. Um, well, he was
0: he was a guy who was exactly my age.
1: Uh huh. Oh, he was your age. That's right. my
0: age. Exactly. He was like four months older or younger. And I mean, this is embarrassing to admit, but you know what started, it was exactly the reckoning you talked about, about yourself at the very beginning in this looking, looking in the mirror, looking around and realizing how apprehensive you were so that was the sort of thinky catalyst but an example of that was you know Ray sort of had a you know a sort of portly Santa Clausy way about him partly because he had, he had gray hair and all this little fringe of gray hair and he um he's pretty um I, I mean I'm trying to think, I'm trying to remember because it was 20 years ago um but he he did you, you know he just he had this very um careful life and he had this sort of I don't I I'm trying to think how to how to talk about it in a way that doesn't focus on his appearance but he was very you know different from me in his dress and demeanor and lifestyle in a way and I I can't even say it looked old because of course that's the mother of all ages statements right. but he certainly if you put you know him and me in a room you would identify me with a younger cohort and i thought i don't what if people when i learned his birthday was the same as mine i do remember this and i did talk about it in public to my colleagues you know i outed myself i thought what if people find out they'll think i'm old too which was gross because it was so denigrating of ray and you know in a way that was not okay so ridiculous First, who cares if we're the same age? And last I checked, my colleagues didn't have any trouble telling us apart and understanding what was important and valuable about each of us and liking or disliking us on the basis of who we are, not how old we happen to be.
1: Yeah. And what I'm hearing now is the 20 years of work that you've been doing around this, this thought work in your own, in your own brain. It's like Getting in under the hood, right, uh, and 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 jiggering around with the connections in your own brain to to try to talk about this thing that was Ashton's thoughts twenty years ago from Ashton now, looking at it and trying to couch it all in terms that are that are now acceptable to you compared to yeah. what was acceptable I, you know, to and you and back I'm then. Always
0: changing the way. I think and saying things that i don't say anymore and realize i'm like oh you know that that was not okay i'm raising but my I, hand yep right, right there but with that you. is how we learn you know and we're gonna make mistakes but people i think understand um your approach you know if you're you know and if you don't pretend to be the boss with all the answers and and also you know when it comes to the one universal human experience you're not going to talk find one way to talk about it that works for everyone you know i mean for a while there my working title for this whole thing was i'm not ray you know and <laughs> ray's not me who knows what ray thought of me you know right it's like different and you need to just approach each person as an individual you know maybe you wouldn't couldn't stand ray maybe they couldn't stand me but not because of our age
1: right so I have one last question for you. I could talk to you all day Ashton, but I'm um for time's sake, I have one last question for you and that is in in the time that you've been doing this work, what have you learned about yourself?
0: Uh, I have learned to get better at meeting people where they are. You mm. know, it's I mean, it's which is important i mean i i feel i feel like this work is so important just so people are less fearful because fear makes us stupid and fear divides us so it can be really easy to get on a soapbox and say no you know you need to think this way or here's why you're saying that in a way i don't approve of it, and that's not helpful mm-hmm. you
1: know so i would say i'm working on that that's amazing I am just thrilled that you took the time to be here with us today. Thank you for that. And, you're, um, you're welcome. Thank you for the work you are doing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so the best place for people to find you, is it is it This Chair Rocks?
0: Yeah. This My main website is thischairrocks.com. I am on social media trying to wean myself off Twitter now, X, Y, Z, <laughs> um, at This Chair Rocks, Instagram, at This Chair Rocks um i'm really easy to find um i have A Q&A blog called yo is this ageist where you can send in if you've seen or heard or perhaps done something that you wonder might whether or not it's ageist that's the place to put it and then that's a record you know so if you want to that one really sort of i hope it's fun um way to learn about how ageism shows up in the world because it's new to most of us is just to scroll through, yo, is this ageist and see some, you know, you know, usually it's ageist but not always, you know, it depends. And also guess what? You might disagree with my answer and that's okay too.
1: So I just want to take just a couple of moments to tell you a quick story. I was go I was in a party store trying to find some things to help celebrate my mother's 80th birthday last year. And I'm standing in the, the party aisle and I'm looking at all the things around the, you know, for anything that says 80th birthday, anything. And it was also a just, it was not all of it. 90 something percent of what I saw in front of me, I was kind of horrified by frankly. And this, this guy comes around the corner and he, he sees me looking at everything and contemplating and he says, Oh, haha looks like we're going to the same party. And I, I said, Yeah, I'm actually kind of horrified by everything that I'm seeing here. And he was like, Okay, well, I guess we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> and he just went by. I started laughing and I was like, You know, I scared him. Basically,
0: he, he had no idea what to do with what I had just told him. Not you know? But you got him thinking and you didn't do it in um aggressive way. <laughs> right. You were just like standing. So, so you just made him do a reset, which is good.
1: And And we did laugh about it. So that that was good. I I didn't scare him away totally, but oh my goodness, it was funny.
0: um, I'm just putting two more links, which I hope you'll, speaking of, of evidence that the culture is changing and that we have more options, there's a movement, a group for better birthdays, how to celebrate birthdays in non-ageist ways Mm -hmm. and a woman who has a fantastic line of non-ageist birthday cards or just honestly noodle around there's all I can think of off the top of my head another initiative there's a great group in Colorado called changing the narrative and they have a yearly contest for non-ageist birthday cards so all this stuff is happening it really
1: is oh my goodness thank thank you again Ashton you're very
0: welcome Yvonne. keep up your important work thank you
1: well, there you have it. My main takeaway from our conversation is the idea that the language we use around the topic of aging is really important. Words are powerful, my friend. All through my 40s, I was using the language available to me that where I was telling myself a really negative story about getting older. And I wasn't even aware I was doing it, but I can tell you now it was absolutely stopping me from living my best life because I thought I'd missed the boat and was convinced it was all downhill. It's only when I became aware of it that I started to question whether or not everything I'd been told about aging was true. Awareness was really key for me and still is. And I know I still have work to do here because I still catch myself doing this, folks. But the fact that I'm aware of it is where the power lies. And what I know for sure is that I'm not as afraid of aging as I used to be. And that has gifted me with a feeling of freedom around my choices for whatever I may do next. I no longer feel like it's too late to pursue my dreams. Uh, I've been following Ashton Applewhite's work for so long now. I'm just thrilled to have had a chance to sit down and talk with her. If you want more information about her, her work, you can find a link to her website in the show notes. Just go to latebloomerliving.com and look for episode 161. But hey, before we say goodbye this week... For those of you who get my emails or follow me on social media, you may already know that I just published a new book. I still have to pinch myself when I say that. Wow. It's it's titled, In Full Bloom, A Guide to Aging Playfully. It's a gift book that combines photos I've taken of flowers with definitions of the word bloom, along with my thoughts about why I think that any age is the perfect age to bloom. It's really an exploration of how embracing playfulness can transform your perspective on aging. So thank you so much if you already bought your copy. Oh my gosh, just a couple of days after I posted about the book on Facebook, you guys took the book to the top 10 bestseller list for the midlife management book category on Amazon for a couple of days. I blew my mind. And I'm really just so grateful for your support. More importantly, though, I hope you'll keep the book by your bedside or on your desk so you can look at it every day to remind yourself that you're not too old and it's never too late to do that thing that you've been wanting to do. And I don't know when you'll actually be listening to this episode, but as I record this, it's November of 2023, and Thanksgiving is right around the corner. And I'm working on cultivating gratitude in my life. So I'll leave you with a final question to ponder if you are also working on cultivating gratitude. Are you ready? Here it is. What are the hidden rewards of getting older? What are you grateful for that's only possible because you're older? And here's a second question for you to ponder. Would your younger self ever have expected that answer? That's all for now. Happy Thanksgiving, my friend. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well and talk soon.